You want Chinese? They want pizza. Someone in the back is craving sushi. What do you do? Well, there's something for everyone on DoorDash. And you need to continue to support restaurants in your community safely. And there are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Support your favorite restaurants on DoorDash. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code ADVANTAGE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ADVANTAGE. Don't forget, that's code ADVANTAGE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, the early morning edition. And when I say early morning, it, it, it's early is a relative term, but for our guest this morning, Ryan Clark, of course, covering the Colorado Avalanche for us out of Denver. This early is, it, it's a real early thing for you, Ryan Clark, because I know you had uh, a big game last night between the Avs and the Dallas Stars. And, of course, the world outside of hockey was uh, being itself a a historic, I think, day for sport Um, in the wake of the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. um, You have not had much sleep. So right off the hop, thank you for being a true pro, as always, and joining us on a matter of moments sleep for you. So thanks for coming to hang out with us. Hey, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's very kind of you to say, even if it's not true. Uh, but let's, uh, Ryan, let's start. It's true. <laughs> well, you are a true pro because uh, you betrayed none of your sleepiness, and you are uh, being very gentle with me so far this morning. But, Ryan, let's start with, um, I-, I was just curious how you... Saw things as as they were unfolding, sort of in real time, uh, watching the NBA players, starting with the Milwaukee Bucks, and then following really throughout the the NBA bubble in Orlando. Uh, just uh, what you made as things were unfolding, and it became clearer and clearer that the players were that were going to take matters into their own hands, that they weren't going to play playoff games yesterday, and then sort of the wave uh, as it as it crossed. The boundaries of different sports and major league baseball games uh, players deciding not to play we had tennis stars uh, opting out of uh, semifinal tournament uh, uh, or competition in cincinnati we had major league soccer we had wnba players uh, opting not to play i wonder what you what, what was going through your mind as you were watching all of these sort of dominoes fall it was just that it was just watching how sequential it all ended up being you look at the NBA, and because of our current setup now, the second screen experience has probably been used now more than ever before, at least if, if not ever before, then it's been up there certainly because of COVID-19. And so you're watching these games or you're getting ready for them. You're looking on social. You see the tweets from people like Sham Sharanya, Adrian Wojnarowski about what Chris Haynes as well, Mark Spears about what's possibly going down 
in the NBA at the Orlando bubble. And then next thing you know, it's like you see these videos from Taylor Rooks, Malika Andrews, and then the announcement itself comes out. And then it's how does everybody else react to it? But then you see that this is going on with other teams in the NBA. Then it makes its way to Major League Baseball, MLS, the WNBA, which that's been a league that's always really been at the forefront of these conversations as well. And with that, there kind of became this expectation of how far is this going to go? When you're seeing Naomi Osaka put out a statement, it gives people this idea of just how wide reaching this really is, that this is more than just the NBA and WNBA. This is something that is really starting to impact really a lot of different leagues. And then it came time for people to see what the NHL was going to do. The league in its first game in uh, Scotiabank plays, of course, between the the Tampa Bay Lightning and Boston Bruins. There was a moment of, of silence and remembrance that lasted around 30 or so seconds. With the second game at Rogers between the Avalanche and the Dallas Stars, there was none of that. But what you saw in both post-game press conferences were players talking about it. And what you saw on social was some fans who felt what the player said was acceptable. You saw fans who were disappointed. You also saw people just express what they felt was disappointment in the league and some who felt like there was nothing to be disappointed about because why should the NHL wade into this conversation? Yeah, you know, it, 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 I found it was interesting for just even for me. I, I happened to be doing a radio hit uh, from Winnipeg uh, just as the Islander Flyer game was going to overtime. And it was really, you know, again, it was it, it, the whole the whole day was so fluid in terms of what was happening and starting with the NBA bubble. And, and I, somebody, they asked me, well, you know, what do you think? You know, how do you think this will affect the the NHL? And you know, at that time, I was sort of at a loss for well, I, I wasn't sure. I, I had no sense of how the NHL, how the NHL players would react to this. And, I, and really, of course, we had no idea just w- w- how how many dominoes were going to fall over the two or three hours that followed that. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I just I I just from my perspective, I thought there, this was an opportunity to do way more. And I, I I don't necessarily mean that, oh, the NHL shouldn't have played its games, although I did feel, and a lot of, uh, I was interesting to hear commentators like Kelly Rudy and Christine Simpson and Craig Simpson. It, it, did, it did seem odd to watch those NHL games last night, knowing what was going on all over North America and beyond in terms of competition athletes saying, no, we're not, we're not going to compete because this is too important. And I wonder, did you, when the game started to go, I wonder how you felt about it, watching those games as they unfolded. It's interesting because when you look at the NHL, the conversation has been about should the league have done more or did they do enough or was it not enough or whatever form of question or hypothetical people throw out there. But what it comes back to is this. This is a league that until very recently had never really entered this discussion about race and racism. And the first major step in terms of a public show that you saw from teams, players, the league, that wasn't something like a, let's let's guess you could say something like a community initiative, really was Matthew Dumba speaking before the Blackhawks and Oilers game. And so in the time since that, 
there hasn't really been anything the league has needed to do or appeared that way that since predicated, you know, that, that moment. But what you saw on Wednesday, this is what people were looking for. How would the NHL respond to this? Because, yes, there is that understanding. But were those people who are going to be disappointed with the league are going to argue, they're going to say, hey, NASCAR figured this out really quickly. NASCAR made a stand. And when you look at all these other leagues, whether they've had decades of experience dealing with this or a handful of months, this has been the response. And this is how the NHL compares. And don't know if necessarily this is the right term in the sense of being defining moment, because the thing about a conversation on this subject is this. It is polarizing to the point where for the crowd that feels this is an important moment, there are others who feel like it's just another everyday thing that they may not have an interest or may not care about. And what it comes back to is this. With Matt Dumba's speech, there is the belief that this was a first step. But what would the other steps look like? And when you look at how Wednesday was handled, for the people who do feel strongly about this issue, they felt there was no first step beyond this. There was no second step. It was a misstep. And for the people who do not care about this, for them, it was probably just something that they wish had probably not overshadowed the games. But then it just goes back to a larger discussion about what is the viewpoint of people universally because it is such a polarizing subject yeah i guess just for me and for having been around the, the game a long time and you know learning as i go along as well right i mean how do we how do we react to the intersection of police brutality and racism and sport and it is there isn't there isn't a guidebook or a blueprint i i don't think but I guess I, I just felt so – I just felt like this was an opportunity and wouldn't it have been great to – and I just throw it out there. If John Cooper and uh, and the coaching staff in Tampa and Bruce Cassidy and the Boston coaching staff had linked arms, if the players had done something, if the players had joined together and said, you know what, we're not going to start this game for seven minutes, that would mark the seven times – uh, uh, that 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 black man in Kenosha was shot. So I, I I don't know. I just felt that there was something that could have that we could have said. Yes, we we are part of the discussion. And we are part of, uh, of of what is going on. And I don't know. I just I just felt disappointed that that we didn't get more of that. And so that's my feeling on it. And I'm curious then to ask you, Ryan, how do you so. If there is another step, we've got two more games tonight. Philadelphia and the New York Islanders are going to play at 7 o'clock, second of back-to-backs. we got Vegas and Vancouver. We'll go at 9.45 Eastern. Uh, do you have a, an expectation or an idea of what happens today, sort of the day after uh, all of this is unfolded? In some ways, you could argue the league is now in a no-win situation because let's say if something happens, the critics are going to scream, you could have done this Wednesday. And now you're doing this as a way to save face. And for some people, that might not be enough. But then if they continue as business as planned, 
you're going to add to that argument from those critics of it just shows that you're just not interested. And that's the situation the league is going to put itself in. But then again, an argument could be made that no matter what the league does, it's going to frustrate someone. But at the end of the day, whether it's the league, the players, the teams, whatever entity you want to use, they're not going to make someone happy with whatever they choose. It really just does come back down to the idea of what they believe to be the best stuff. And yes, players are talking about this, but like fans and media members have pointed out who feel strongly about this subject. You said this post George Floyd when everybody said it, but what have you really done since then to continue the conversation? Cause you do look at some teams. There are some teams that have players who are asked about it. There's a lot of teams that just simply don't. Whereas if you look at yesterday between Boston, Tampa, Dallas and Colorado, those questions were being asked. And now that now it's this, are they going to continue to be asked going forward? Or was this a one off or was it somewhere in between? And that's the situation this league has put itself in is because of last night and because there are people who felt the response wasn't a response, it was a lack thereof. For those people, they're going to say that, look, no matter what this league does, it's too little too late. Because yesterday was a chance for them to show this is where they stand on this issue, and they didn't. But again, there's another side to this, Scott, and it has to be said, that's going to sit there and go, hey, we were okay with it because for us, this just isn't a subject that we feel hockey players and athletes shouldn't be discussing, and that's a reality. Uh, you you are absolutely right, and it, it is. I, I just you know, and, and maybe you know if if I'm maybe it's Pollyannish, maybe it's just wanting the glass to be half full. I mean, maybe this is you know the fact that we're having this kind of discussion, and there was the, the, a lot of discussion on social media. There will continue to be discussion going forward on. Maybe not just what should have happened or what would we have liked to have seen the NHL's response and the and the response of the NHL players, but maybe that dialogue itself is constructive or worthwhile. Or or do you think that's too that's that's too Pollyannish to to, to say that well we are talking about it and so maybe that's a good thing because you're absolutely right. This is a league that has you know, has avoided these kinds of discussions for a long time. Perhaps the answer to that is how do you compare what the NHL is doing? Are you comparing it to what it's been doing in the past? Are you comparing it to other leagues? And that's a conversation that's come up quite a bit really since George Floyd. And you've seen players really step into the spotlight when it comes to having this discussion. So let's take social media, for example. You look at the NBA. There are teams that have been tweeting about this, not since Jacob Blake was shot, but really this entire time since George Floyd, whether it's talking about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, whatever the case may be, like this is an ongoing discussion for NBA teams and it's evident under social media platforms. With NHL teams, there hasn't necessarily been that. I mean, you look at teams that are in the same city that are owned by the same sports and entertainment company, it's differing philosophies, it's differing views. 
how much of that goes back to the leagues they're in, the sports, the clientele of people they're trying to reach. Again, it's a lot of variables. And that's just it is it all depends because you're probably going to have people who say, well, compared to what the NHL was, maybe they have done enough. But you're going to have people who say, well, when you look at the NHL compared to other leagues, it hasn't been enough. And while, yes, there's this understanding that other leagues have had time to really talk about these issues, you have seen leagues, again, like NASCAR, which has not really had these conversations, make the sort of steps that has made people go, it can be done. So why hasn't the NHL followed suit? That, yes, what Matt Dumba said and did, while it was a first step, again, it was just that. Yeah. Ryan, there, there is no other way to do this other than jarringly. But thankfully, we have an, we actually have a break that we have to go to. And when we come back, I, I, do, we're, I do want, in the time that remains with you this morning, to talk about the hockey. And, uh, again, I apologize because it is jarring, but uh, it is what we're going to do. But anyway, we're going we're to take a short break. Don't go away. And we will be right back. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe TM technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. Ooh, can't be too safe there can you you can get this trimmer inside their perfect package 3.0 which also includes the manscaped crop preserver ball deodorant and the crop reviver ball toning spray both super practical and they smell great too the manscaped boxer briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported the waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. You need to try this out for yourself. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's right. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Remember, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. All right, Ryan, when we started this conversation, we were talking about your long night. Um, and, of course, your night included a hockey game involving the team that you cover, the Colorado Avalanche, uh, Dallas Stars. I, you know, in some ways, I, when I was watching the game, I was like, this is... You know, it's too bad this game wasn't happening in, under different circumstances or, you know, that if, that you really could take it as a set piece by itself. Because the game itself, I've, I thought it, it might have been one of the most dramatic games, certainly one of the most interesting games uh, that we've seen in the Western Conference since the return to play. Uh, an absolute must win for the Avs. And it looked like they were, it looked like for a moment when they blew the 3-1 lead and fell behind that this that this might really fall to pieces before our very eyes, and yet they did find a way to come back and win that game six four. They trail the stars two one in the series. What was your what as you were watching this unfold, and what were you what were you thinking of an AS team that a lot of people like certainly to win this series and maybe go right to a Stanley Cup? I believe there is a stat that said last night on social 
The Avs are the first team in NHL playoff history to have a two-goal lead, lose a two-goal lead, but yet come back to win by two goals. So there is that. In terms of that performance, it really raises a lot of questions, which is what you could say the Avalanche were facing going into game three to begin with. And when you look at the first two-goal lead they built up, it is these questions of, hey, they're getting secondary scoring. They're showing that they can do this without needing Nathan McKinnon to get goals. The way they're playing in front of Pavel Francouz, maybe they figured some things out. And then Dallas does what Dallas does, which is it finds a way to carve a niche in the third period to really dictate the flow of the game. And then the questions turn into, is this really about to happen again? Are they about to go down 0-3? What needs to be done to try to figure out a Stars team that, again, when it's the third, this is kind of what they do. And then when the Avs win, it's now another set of questions of, was this a one-off or is this the start of something bigger? Nikita Zadorov had his best game and then he got hurt. And now the question is, will he be healthy for game four or will they have to go to Mark Barbario? Or is this the time for Connor Timmons or Bowen Byram to get an opportunity? But then it's the other question of how does this team get more consistent play out of Pavel Francouz? And on top of that, it's, look, the secondary scoring was evident in game three. But how do you continue that? And that's just it is. Is this the team that had the secondary scoring throughout the regular season round robin and quarterfinal round? Or is this about to be the team that people saw in last year's semifinal series against the Sharks where, yes, they pushed it to seven, but one of the glaring holes they had was they couldn't get consistent offensive production beyond Gabriel Lanskog, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Ronson. So again, it's a game that, while it certainly provided a lot of interesting things to observe, if you're the Avs, you walk away with more questions than answers at this point. It is. Uh, you know what? I mean, the, 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 I mean, maybe this is just a function of a series where you do have two backups. And and, and, uh, and you mentioned Pavel Francouz. Uh, I thought Anton Hudobin... Again, yeah, it's always it's the it's a bit of a mugs game just to throw the goalie under the bus. Although I'm happy to do it on occasion, but um, you know, neither of these teams really at this stage have a plan B, right? I mean, uh, you know, Jake Ottinger's never played in an NHL playoff game. Uh, are the Stars likely to go to him? You know, outside of an injury to Hudobin, no, uh, no Ben Bishop on the horizon for them. Just as Philip Grubauer seems, you know, not to be an option in the short term for the Avs, and you've got Michael Michael Hutchinson, in, uh, who does have some NHL experience, but it strikes me that. This series is going to be won or lost by uh, the goaltenders who've been playing thus far, and it and it does strike me that it also sets up the potential for there to be a fair number of goals scored moving forward. And I, you know, as a fan, that's a pretty good thing. But it also must make you know, must make life dif- difficult for Jared Bednar behind the Avs bench and for Rick Bonus behind the Stars bench. Here's the thing about that, though, Scott. Like you look at those two teams. Colorado and Dallas have been teams that because of injuries, inconsistency, scheduling, whatever your variable, well, yes, Francois and Hudobin are backups. They still shared a good percentage of the starts this year with Grubauer, Bishop, and those respective situations. And that's just it, is if this was a situation where the starting goalie who starts 70 times a year is out and you're trusting a backup with a dozen starts or games then sure 
but because these are two players that have had plenty of starts, it's a little bit different. I mean, remember, Pablo Francois has won more games this year than Philip Grubauer. Right. He won 21 contests, but it's an extension of what you're seeing in the NHL. You see it in Boston where, yes, Tuka Rask is a starter, but they have a two-goalie setup, which is why Yaroslav Halak, he, he had regular season success. You've seen it in other places like Vancouver with Thatcher Dimko, Thatcher Dimko Jacob Markstrom. Uh, you saw it in Columbus this postseason as well. And that's just it. It's like, yes, there are the teams that have the quote-unquote franchise goalie or bar minimum, the legitimate number one goalie who's going to play all the time, like a Carey Price when he's healthy, a Vasilevsky, a Carter Hart, you name it. Those options do exist. John Gibson being another one that comes to mind. But then when you look at other teams, it can be a tandem system like Vegas, uh, like we saw with the St. Louis Blues as well as they were trying to get back into that series against the Canucks. So it's it's one of those things where, yes, they're backups, but they're playing more than what the normal backup would typically receive in an environment, let's say, that was maybe five or ten years ago. Right. Uh, so I must admit, I, I, I felt I was I felt uh, let down by the first round. You know, no game sevens, uh, you know, a lot of series that just they didn't seem to have much juice to me. And early, I guess we're sort of we're not quite midway through the second round yet. But I don't think we could ask for more in terms of drama and storylines, whether it's a Robin Leonard, Marc-Andre Fleury storyline in Vegas, the comeback from Vancouver in, to tie that series up. We know what's going on with your series there. The Islanders looked like they were going to break the spirit of the Flyers yesterday after coming back from three nothing, uh, a 3 nothing deficit forcing overtime, but the Flyers found a way. And then, of course, Boston uh, crumbling in the second of back-to-backs against Tampa. The Bolts now lead that series 2-1. Are you, do you share my enthusiasm for the second round, that there is some, like, holy cow, I, you know, I know it's August, uh, almost Labor Day, but this is this is pretty darn good. It's hard to say just because... You look at what the first round was, as in the quarterfinal round, not the qualifying round. The qualifying round, you could argue, kind of set up potentially what this was going to look like. And that even in the qualifying round, you saw a gulf with teams like Carolina and the New York Rangers. Then you get to the quarterfinal round, where that gulf shrinks by comparison. But some of those matchups... It probably wasn't a surprise given that, look, people have argued those teams in the round robin, they had less stress, less wear and tear on them. Yes, everybody had been off for several months, but in that scope, the thought was the round robin teams were going to have the advantage. Whereas if you look at now, now is not really that much of a surprise because, look, let's face it, let's take Tampa and Boston and then let's go ahead and take Colorado Dallas as our examples here. With Boston and Tampa, those are two teams that people have said they think can not only just win the East, but win the whole thing. Now, a lopsided victory like the Lightning had? Probably a surprise. Yes, the Bruins have had goaltending issues, but to see the way Tampa was scoring again and again and again and the variety of ways they scored, that's what probably caught people off guard. But then when you look at 
Dallas, Colorado, I mean, both sides have talked about how they knew this was going to be a close series because, look, Dallas was 4-0 against Colorado in the regular season. Colorado wins the round robin. So what are we going to see? And what we've seen is a game where no one knows what's going to happen because in the year of our Lord 2020 AD, nothing makes sense (laughs) whatsoever. And again, what we saw Wednesday with Colorado-Dallas was the embodiment of that in that sense of we didn't know what the abs were going to look like because how does a collection of players who have never been down 0-2 in a series, what are they going to do? And then you see the two-goal lead, and it's like, okay, maybe they figured some things out. And then you see Dallas score, and you're like, maybe they haven't. And then you see the Avalanche score, and you're like, you know what? Flip a coin because no one knows what's going to happen because, again, it's the year of our Lord 2020 AD where two hurricanes hit at the same time. There's a global pandemic, and there's a bubonic plague with a bubonic plague-infested squirrel roaming around Colorado because, again, why not? Oh, my gosh. Ryan Clark, don't go away. I've got to, we've got to take one quick break, and then I want to come back for a final thought or two from you. And uh, you are right on the money with that. Although we don't have a bubonic plague-infested squirrel in Georgia, at least that I know of. So, But anyway, take don't go away. We will be right back. All right, Ryan, I, when Pierre and I do this, I, I sometimes parse out the last word to him. I, I don't like to do it all the time just because I don't want, you know, I don't like to, him to get ahead of himself. But you were up late. You worked hard. You've got up early to come and join us this morning. So I will leave you with the last word for this edition of Two Man Advantage. If you look ahead to today, and it, what's the best case scenario for this day in the NHL? Or... Is there, if you got to script the rest of this day for the NHL, what's it look like? In terms of best case, that's such a hard question to answer because it's subjective with what best case looks like. Because, again, you're going to have the crowd of fans and media members who are going to say, too little, too late, because not much was done Wednesday. In terms of if someone had the power to script the day, it all depends. Because publicly, there's going to be people who say that there needs to be some sort of representation to acknowledge what is going on in the world around these teams and these players and this league as a whole. So what does that look like? Especially when the NHL, as you know better than anyone, Scott, is a league that does presentations. It does events. This is what it's known for. So what do they do in a situation like this when people felt, The moment of remembrance simply was not enough. But then the other thing is this, too. No matter what they do, is it going to be interpreted as a genuine act? Because, again, the NBA, WNBA, MLS, Major League Baseball, these are all leagues that did something, whether it was games being postponed or, in the case of Major League Baseball, some games were, 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 were postponed. And you had some players like Matt Kemp of the Rockies who said he wasn't going to take part. And same thing with Jason Hayward of of the Chicago Cubs, even though in the case of Hayward and the Cubs, like the Cubs still played. So what does this look like? And that's just it is that's a question that realistically the NHL and the NHL alone can answer. But it's going to do it with the idea that no matter what decision they choose, 
They're not going to make someone happy, so we'll say this in closing. And it can't be said enough. The NHL is a league that, look, like any other league, it's going to do things that fans either love, they don't love, or it's somewhere in the middle. But either way, the NHL has always been a league of bright colors, family-friendly sort of programming. It's supposed to be fun. It's the hockey is for everyone mantra because that's what the NHL wants. It wants moms. It wants dads. It wants sons. It wants daughters. It wants communities. It wants all these things. So how do you do that at a point in time when mothers and fathers are having to explain this conversation, when sons and daughters have questions, and when communities are divided on this subject? It means they've got to take a stance and, and can a lead. That has been about bright, airy, cheery, and fun, and using a certain way to do that. Are they ready to really and truly wade into these waters? Not something that just acknowledges it, but something that goes deeper compared to what you see NASCAR do by banning the Confederate flag. The NBA, where its players are speaking about this to the point where coaches are opening Zoom press conferences talking about systemic racism. Is that something the NHL is ready to do? Are they ready to be the WNBA where they have players walking out with shirts that say Jacob Blake that have seven bullet holes in them? Are they ready to be Major League Baseball where, yes, you might have teams play, but you have players who don't, and the teammates who do play show that support? Where the Milwaukee Brewers... And Josh Hader, with his past, has spoken up about a time to change. Is that something the NHL is ready to do? And the NHL, its players, its coaches, and the people who run it are the only ones who can answer that question one way or the other. That was perfectly said, my friend. So thank you for that. You should always read Ryan's Avalanche coverage at The Athletic Denver and give Ryan a follow on Twitter at Ryan underscore S underscore Clark. Thanks so much, Ryan. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. Hey, you too. Thanks again for having me. All right. Before we close out Thursday morning, two-man advantage, uh, you should check out Arthur Staples' Islander coverage on The Athletic and his fine podcast, No Sleep Till Belmont, and Jeremy Rutherford. Oh, my gosh. More news for the St. Louis Blues. Vladimir Tarasenko, when will we see him again as he prepares for a third shoulder surgery? Tough luck for the current defending Stanley Cup champions. You should check out Jeremy's podcast this week with Joe Vitale. Uh, this week on The Athletic. You should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Main Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash Two Main Advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. Tomorrow morning, Friday, we will close out the week with another morning edition of Two Main Advantage. So please don't miss that. And we'll see you then.